Thank you, Kay, and good morning, everyone. Um, now, just before we get to that second reading, Galatians 6, let me talk about next weekend. This weekend's been an exciting weekend uh, for uh, our family. It's been a Taylor Swift weekend. Uh, well, for some, some uh, my, uh, two of my daughters went last night. I had the privilege of picking them up at 11. Spirits were high. Uh, enthusiasm was high. It had flagged a little by 1 a.m. when we got home. Uh, so if I'm slightly bleary-eyed and grumpy, um, Actually, you won't notice a difference, but um, uh, it, uh, it, it's been a, a big weekend for our city with things like Taylor Swift concerts, an even bigger weekend for our church family next weekend. Um, so I do commend this to you. I don't know whether you received one of these on the way in. If not, grab one of those on the way out. Um, it just gives you uh, info about what's happening next weekend. Uh, today and really tomorrow, the last chance is to sign up for the Vision Dinner. Uh, I'd love you to come along and be part of that. It's a chance to look back together and give thanks to God for his work amongst us uh, and then look forward as well and to pray for the year ahead. Um, even if you're brand new to the church, you might think, oh, that's something for sort of regulars. This is a great opportunity to get a sense of our church. So if you'd like to come, please do come uh, to that dinner. The way to do that is either there's a, a little a clipboard to put your name and we can sort out registration for you, or there's um, one of those square reader things and you can just do it uh, over morning tea if you'd like to be part of the dinner next week. Um, the same weekend, the next day, same venue, this is all at Barker College's Junior School Hall and the map for that's on the back. Uh, at 10 a.m. we're having a combined service, the whole church family gathering together at 10 a.m. So don't forget, if you turn up here at 10.30, uh, that's where we'll be. we'll be. We'll be there, and we will have been there for half an hour. Um, so please do come and be part of that. Uh, and the icing on the cake um, after the combined service is our annual general meeting. Uh, again, same venue at about 11.15. Uh, so if you can't, for some reason, make the, uh, the 10 a.m. combined service, but are keen to be part of the AGM, that's when to aim for about 11.15. So grab that, uh, take it with you, especially for the map uh, for next week. I'm going to pray and ask for God's help as we look at this part of his word. So please do pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege of being able to call you Father, uh, to be your dearly loved children because of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray, Father, as your children, you help us to listen well to your voice. Listen that we may know you, that we may know what you are doing in this world, that we may know what you are calling us to, that we may follow you. And we pray this for our good and for your glory. Amen. Now, when Matt was up uh, here earlier uh, doing the all-in spot, there was a little question that came up on the screen just after he left. Uh, how would you finish this statement? Uh, one of the biggest dangers to the church, a church like this one in a city like this, is dot, dot, dot. Uh, how would you finish that sentence? I imagine in a congregation like this, we may have all sorts of answers, all sorts of potential dangers that we're aware of for a church uh, like ours. But uh, here's one answer. Here's the answer I want us to think about today. One of the biggest dangers to the church, especially in a city like this, is individualism. Um, individualism, the, the elevation of the self over all else, uh, which dominates the thinking of our culture, the claim that I am the captain of my own soul, the master of my own ship, uh, that I steer it wherever I choose, uh, 
is uh, something that's incredibly dangerous to the, 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 the nature and the purpose of the church. And the fuel that drives individualism in our culture, I suggest, is the fuel of our wealth, our capacity to choose, our capacity to take up opportunities. It's, it's all well and good to say, I am the master of my own ship. But if you have no wealth, it's not much of a ship, is it? It can't go very far. But in our case, relatively speaking, and perhaps some of us, we may not feel wealthy relative to others, even in our church family, but relative in our world, we are incredibly wealthy. Uh, we have a veritable armada of resources uh, to deploy to our choices, our opportunities. And what our wealth affords us more than anything else is freedom, freedom to make those choices, uh, freedom to pursue opportunities. Wealth is like our secret weapon against what the young people, and I can call them that now as I get older, what the young people call FOMO. Uh, you don't need to fear missing out. You can choose lots of things. You can have lots of things. You can have multiple opportunities and choices and priorities, and you can juggle them all. All of that is at our disposal. And yet, with such a powerful weapon, it doesn't seem to lead us to rest, but restlessness. Now, you want an image of that? The image that came into my head this week was an old 1980s, 1990s game show. I, this was my misspent youth watching shows like this. Does anyone remember Supermarket Sweep? There's a few, you know, I had a clip to show you of Supermarket Sweep that when I ran that past the rest of the team on Thursday, they, they vetoed it, so it, I, don't, I can't show you. But if you've never seen the show, it's a very simple show. There's a quiz that runs through it, and you earn points as you go along if you answer the questions right. And depending on how many points you've got, they're worth seconds. So say you've, made, you've gained 150 points in the game. At the end of the game, you've got 150 seconds to charge around this supermarket with an empty trolley and grab whatever you can in your trolley uh, in the time that you have available. I was looking for a picture of what the pursuit of individualism driven by our wealth is like in a culture like ours, and that's the picture. Uh, charging around, so much opportunity, so much choice, so much ability to make those choices. Now our individualistic pursuits are not as crude as madly grasping at products in a supermarket aisle, well not all the time anyway, but we deploy our wealth in service of the things we treasure in service of the things that are important to us, that we make our priorities, to have more choices, to be able to choose more of them simultaneously. That's the air we breathe in our culture, and inevitably, it will enter our own hearts as Christians. And when caught up in this individualistic pursuit, we can, along the way, forget who we are as Christians. Uh, do you remember what we've seen in these recent weeks about who we are as a church family? You remember the, the picture from Matthew 5 as Jesus gathers his first disciples and he says to them, you are the light of the world. That's who you are. In a world that is in the dark when it comes to God, a world under the darkness of the shadow of death, a world in, in the dark because it's curved in on itself, you are the light of the world. How easy it is to forget that and, and get stuck, well, just in ourselves. And when we forget who we are, the other thing that we forget along the way is the other thing that we've seen Jesus show us in Matthew 5, the why of that identity. You are a light in a dark world for what purpose? To shine. <laughs> to shine that others may see the source of that light, that others may come home to their heavenly father. That's our who and our why as a church.
We are to let the light shine. And over the last couple of weeks, what we've seen is really the next step. Having seen our who and why as a church, we've started to think about how. How, how would we do that? What does, uh, what does letting the light shine involve? Well, again, wonderfully, Jesus makes it very clear for us in Matthew 5. He says this, it's by obeying the law, by obeying the king, by trusting him enough to heed him. And all the way through the history of God's dealing with his people, there have been two foundational things he has called them to do. Remember, we've seen them in the recent weeks. To love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind. Wholehearted love for God. There's the first way we let the light shine. Here's the second one. By loving your neighbor as yourself, growing in humble-hearted service of others. Now, last week we looked at the first of those. And today, for a few minutes, we're going to think about what it would mean to be a church that grows in humble-hearted service of others. And if you want a picture of what that looks like, um, hopefully you've got Galatians 6 open there in front of you. I think it's page 1004 in the church Bibles. Jump back from Galatians 6 to Galatians 5, verse 13, and you'll see a picture of what we're being called to grow in. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. How do we let the light shine? Well, you are called to be free. Remember, freedom is right at the heart of individualism. Well, you as a Christian, you are the freest person on this planet because of Jesus. But free not just to serve ourselves, but free to serve one another humbly in love. How are we going to do that? Well, if you've got Galatians open there, jump to the passage that Kay read for us, the last verse, Galatians 6, verse 10, and there we see it. As we have opportunity... Let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. I mean, it's the polar opposite of the individualistic heart, isn't it? Here is a heart that is open to all, not curved in. The church shines a light best when it is marked by this love for all people. Uh, and we're told in the verse before, at verse 9, that the light will shine as long as we never tire of doing that good. Uh, strengthened by God's grace. It's a simple challenge, isn't it? But it's a radical challenge to our individualism. But there's actually a deeper challenge within verse 10. Have a look at it again. Let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Now think about uh, your own impulse to love in this world. Your instinct to love, where does that instinct, where is it drawn to? Well, I suspect for all of us, if we're honest, the first place it's drawn to is ourselves. We do love ourselves and we seek to care for ourselves. That, that's natural. The next place it's drawn to, very naturally, is to our own families, our immediate family or even our extended family. Even the weird ones, we, we're drawn to love them. Uh, that's natural, isn't it? It's good. And God's word is full of instruction and command to love one another in our families. Whatever our role is in the family, as a parent or a child or a sibling, there, there is that call to love. Now, of course, it is possible to make our own household an, an idol and the thing that we treasure so much above everything else that is the only thing we love. But with that danger set aside, it is true that the call to love our immediate family is a strong call in the Bible. But look at Galatians 6 verse 10. Do you see the challenge? Let us do good to all people, especially to those in the family of believers. 
Now think about that instinct to love others. Uh, we've ticked a few boxes already. Myself, tick. Uh, my family, tick. How about this family? What's your instinct here? Do you see the challenge of chapter 6, verse 10? It's, it's that word, isn't it? Especially the household of believers as, as our priority for humble-hearted service, especially the household of believers. Is that your impulse in this family? I mean, think about it. How do you approach church? People can approach church in all sorts of different ways. Um, it is possible that there, sometimes when we're looking for a church, we, we, would, we might become what's sometimes known as a church shopper. Uh, and we're back in supermarket sweep at that point, but um, leave that aside. It, it, you know, to approach it that way, I'm looking for certain things. But then we might move beyond that. We might be part of a church, but we could still approach church like a customer. Uh, there's certain things that I need from this church to provide. That's what I'm looking for. Uh, or we might a church, approach church as an attender. I'm here when, when I can. Or uh, perhaps a bit more distant from that. We might say, well, I'm associated in, different, in some ways to the church. Or you might say when it comes to this church, you, you'd be describe yourself as an interested observer. I'm not sure what I make of the Christian gospel. I'm not sure what I make of the claims at the heart of this church, but I'm interested and I'm keen to know more. And if that's you, that's fantastic. We can approach church from all sorts of different angles. But do you see the angle of chapter 6, verse 10? Do you see the word it uses to describe this place, this gathering right now? It's household, family. And within that, your priority household. Do you believe that? I mean, how does that sit with you as you think about where your priorities are? I mean, why, why would this, why would God have this family be the priority for our service and our love? Well, let me give you five reasons, and fear not, we'll go through them rapid fire. They each deserve plenty of thinking, and maybe in small groups this week we can do that. But here's five reasons why this is the priority for our God. Our first reason is what we saw in the first week of this series. It's because of where you now live. Remember the blessings that are ours as we come to Jesus as our king. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. You've changed postcodes. You've changed citizenship. You're under a new rule. You're in his kingdom now. And you have a father, a heavenly father. That's where you live. And flowing from that, here's the second reason. It's not just where you live. It's who you are there. Remember the blessing we saw in Matthew 5 verse 9. You are a son, a daughter of God. You're a child of God. That's, that's who you are. This is your family. This is your forever family. Uh, here's a third reason. Here's the thing that binds these, this family, the, the children within this family together. It's an incredible love. Uh, 1 John 3 verse 1 and 2, some of my favorite verses in all of Scripture speak about it this way. We are, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And that's what we are. We are bound together by the most lavish, faithful, enduring love you will ever experience in this world. The love of your heavenly father. Your foundational identity in this world is that you are his child, his dearly loved child. And all around you are those who have that same identity. Each one of us adopted into this family, a family that keeps growing and prioritizes serving one another as siblings. 
Here's a fourth reason, and this one really struck me this week. Next week, we're going to be looking at Ephesians 3 together at our combined service and the prayer that Paul prays there. But right at the start of it, he gives us a fourth reason why this is the priority. And it says this, it's because every family in heaven and on earth, even our independent families, derive their name from our heavenly father. Now, I don't know whether you've ever done a sort of trace to your family line, your family tree, and how far back you got, but let me save you some time. Here's where it's going to end. This same Heavenly Father. Your family is part of His family. Now, here's a fifth and a final reason, and just in case we think maybe this is just a quirk of the Apostle Paul in things like Galatians and Ephesians, this is Jesus' word too. Listen to this from Matthew chapter 12, the other reading that Kay read for us. It's striking. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brother stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. I love when the Bible does that. We've just seen that, but it's just told us. Uh, And here it is. He replied to him, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. That's quite striking, isn't it? His nuclear family outside, he points to those inside, part of the kingdom of heaven. He says, here's my family. His spiritual ties are for him more foundational than the blood relations. Uh, And of course, the truth is we are bound by blood. We are blood relatives, each one of us here. We are bound by the most precious blood this world has ever and will ever know, the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. His is the crimson cord that ties us together. And yes, this blood is thicker than water. So what would serving, especially the household of God, this family of believers look like? Well, two things before we finish. Here's two things I think it will mean for us. And the first is the most basic, but the most important. It's what I'm going to call the ministry of showing up. Uh, You know, in my own household, Liz regularly has the job and the ministry, and it's an important ministry, of reminding me of my need to be present uh, when I'm failing at that. You know, the way to be part of this family, Andrew, is to actually be here and be part of the family. And at its simplest the best way to start expressing our commitment to love our brothers and sisters is to show up for them, to be there for them. I wonder if you remember, we're just about to have the vision dinner next week. Last year at our vision dinner, so coming out of the COVID years, one of the priorities we set for ourselves is to prioritise committing, being together on a Sunday like this, gathering each week. And uh, just to put some stats on us on it, this is what we, we, we sort of figured. Uh, at a rough estimate, about 67% of us at the start of 2023 were gathering together each Sunday. And so we said, just to sort of put a figure on it, let's, let's pray that 80% of us are there every Sunday, committed to serving one another in that way. That was our goal at the start of 2023. Well, by the end of 2023, do you know what our stat was? 66%. Do you see what a hurdle it is for us? How challenging this is? How many different things pull at us? There was a period where, uh, where many, I think, in, uh, during COVID and the shutdowns during COVID, when, when life got a lot simpler. You remember that? And I recall myself thinking, I recall having conversations with different people, uh, which went something like this. You know what? I'm going to stay simple. 
doesn't have to be as chaotic as it was before. I'm going to stay simple. I'm not going to get bound up in all these commitments I had before. I'm not going to do that again. Well, now that COVID's in the rearview mirror, there is a chance that we've hurtled down the supermarket sweep aisle at an even greater pace, trying to catch up. If we are to shine a light, it will start with a commitment to be there for each other to communicate by that to a watching world that this family of our Heavenly Father is incredibly precious. And when they gather, I'm in. We who by the mercy of King Jesus have been adopted into this family, we each one of us adopted, that's how we got into this family. We uh, look around at our fellow adoptees and we use the gifts that God has given us to serve with those gifts. If you want a picture of what that looks like, I was banned from showing you the supermarket sweep video, which is a shame. Um, but here's another video that uh, Tamar and Caroline showed me that I think captures something of what we are to be for one another. So if, if we can get the, make the video work, here it is. Come in. Oh, hi, Your Honor. We have, uh, hi, we have... Uh, yes, yes, come on in. Braverman. Great. All right, yes, I... This is Salsa. He's a lizard. This will take a while. That's right. a good idea. Just, uh, okay, all right. Come on in. Come in, please. Come in. Okay. Close the door. Okay, everyone, please. Hello, everyone, please. All right, welcome. Thank you. All right, uh, so Joel and Julia Graham. Yes. Yeah, hi. That's... Yes. So now you understand that by signing this adoption agreement form, you agree to uh, take care of Victor as your own legal child, right? To provide for his health, his welfare, his educational needs. We do. Yes, Your Honor. Okay, Victor, do you understand? Do you agree to this adoption? Yeah. <laughs> okay, then. <laughs> All right, well, then, unless anyone has anything to add, I'm ready to make it official. <clears throat> your Honor, yes, I may. As grandparents, my wife Camille and myself will do the best we can to, uh, to give Victor what we've given our own children, which is our undying love and support. And also being a baseball aficionado, uh, I would like to teach him the art of fielding the hot grounder. Okay. But hey, that can wait till later. And uh, Your Honor, I'm sorry, if I may, I'm Adam Braverman. I'm Zeke and Camille's oldest son, and I promise to be your uncle. Listen, your, your Aunt Christine and I are no substitute for your stellar parents, but we promise to be there for you no matter what. You can always come to me, Victor, if you need help, and I promise I won't rat you out to your mom. I can give you dating advice. Oh, and then I can help repair the terrible damage that her dating what is this? advice does. Okay. I, I, well, I'm willing to teach you how to ride a motorcycle and play an instrument. Oh, your girl so troubles will vanish immediately, <laughs> once you know those two things. Yeah. And you can come to my house anytime. We can play Xbox, and you can sleep over and stuff. Now that you're adopted, you can officially hold my lizards. Okay. <laughs> I promise to love you, buddy. Yeah. No matter what. Me too. Okay. Okay. It's quite a family you're coming into. It's just a, a small picture of actually what we are committed to do for one another as we form a family, a church family together. Each one of us, not one, but each one of us adopted. Each one of us with those familial ties where we would commit to love each other that way. A family of all generations doing that uh, from prime time to play church, committed to serve each other. 
open-hearted, open-doored to each other. That's who we want to be as a church. And that's always been God's call for his people. Even the early church were called to do this. So let me read you this quote from Lucian. He was a first century satirical uh, writer and he was trying to mock Christians for this behavior. And uh, he was talking about Christians loving and serving a, a fellow Christian who'd been imprisoned. And he, was, he wrote mockingly, but here it is. They left nothing undone in their effort to rescue him. Then, as this was impossible, every other form of attention was shown to him, not in any casual way, but with assiduity. And from the very break of day, aged widows and orphaned children could be seen waiting near the prison. Elaborate meals were brought in, and sacred books were read aloud. Even when he tries to mock them, it sounds impressive, doesn't it? This is how we serve each other as a family. We, serve, we show up. We say, here, I'm in. Uh, one final way to do that, second step, not just to show up. I mean, that's the danger, isn't it? And again, in my own immediate family, again, that's what Liz often has to call me to. It's not just being physically present. When I cite that I was there at dinner and I didn't miss dinner, I said, well, you, you were sort of there, sort of there. And the mixed priorities of, of that is not lost on me. Step two, show up to do what? You see it there in Galatians 6, verse 2? Carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Step two, carry. Because in households, there's always stuff to carry, isn't there? I mean, in my, in my immediate household, two examples I can think of is whenever the shopping gets delivered, that, the entire family is deployed to carry the shopping in. It's like a whole family activity. Whatever we're doing, the, the alarm bell is sounded, and, and that's what happens. And the other one is a sort of a mystical thing that happens with the steps leading up to the upstairs of the house. Things are put on those steps, and that's a code for if you're walking past, please take this up the step. It's not a code my children have learnt yet, but it's, it's, it's definitely a code. There's always things to carry in a house. And that's true here, even shopping. But more important things too. Do you see it there, verse 2 of Galatians 6? Carry each other. Carry each other's burdens. That's the priority here. We have in Jesus the example to follow. He who bent his knee below, before us and served us. He says, do likewise. Two ways you can carry, and these are things to think about in your small group. I'll just mention them now. Let us be a church that carries each other in our commitment to grow one another's delight in the treasure we have in Jesus. The things we were talking about last week. Uh, Philippians 1.12 has this great verse where it says, for each of us to continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Get to know it. Understand it, treasure it. Your heart will struggle to do that alone. You need each other. We need each other. Uh, we'll need to keep doing that. Let's not do that with a casual commitment either. Let's do it knowing the treasure we have at our, in our possession because of Jesus. So let's do it with fear and trembling. Let's do it with one another. Now, if we're going to work out our salvation, we will need each other, and it won't just happen on the large scale. It, it's one of the precious reasons we have small groups, not just to fill our diaries. Who needs more in their diary? Uh, but we do need each other. We need each other to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. I want you to think about, if you're part of a small group, what a miraculous thing that is. Here in the supermarket sweep world that we live in is a group of very busy brothers and sisters who commit to meeting with you to help you grow in your treasuring of Christ. And you do that for them. 
Every time you show up, you do that for them. One final way to carry each other, and it's really the context of Galatians 6. I wonder if you noticed it as Kay read it. Carrying each other will mean we get to pick each other up when we fall. That's the context. Galatians 6 is all about failure and all about stumbling in sin. Uh, this church is about carrying people in the context of broken and messy people like you, like me. Uh, I was writing this part of the sermon during the week and uh, we've been preparing this vision booklet for, for, for next week and back from the printer came this question, do you want a glossy one or a matte finish? And I don't know which one of those, so I didn't have an insightful answer to give. But here's the answer I did want to give as I thought about Galatians 6. If it was going to be a true reflection of us, it probably should be a mangled, frayed copy uh, with a typeset all weird because that's us. The more, though, that we carry each other in this work of getting to know our salvation, the more each one of us will be equipped to carry each other when we fall down. Our church is not some elite SAS crew, in case you got that mistaken impression. We're more like a hospital ward, uh, all in various stages of disrepair. But the wonder of God's household, his family, is that he takes people in need of repair like you and me and he commits to the ongoing work of that repair through his word. And even while the work is still underway, he uses people like that, you and I, to carry others too. I'll leave you with this quote from John Stott, which I think captures this well, this command to carry each other. He wrote many brilliant books, but his favourite of mine is actually his very last book called The Radical Disciple, which he wrote as a very old man. And in it, he's got a chapter sort of citing the indignity of just getting old. Uh, here's what he wrote. God's design for our life is that we should be dependent. We come into this world totally dependent on the love and care and protection of others. We go through a phase of life when other people depend on us. And most of us will go out of this world totally dependent on the love and care of others. But this is not an evil, destructive reality. It's part of the design, part of the physical nature which God has given us. We are designed to be a burden to others. And the life of the local church family is to be one of mutual burdensomeness. So I want to say to you, brother or sister in Christ, you are your brother's keeper, your sister's keeper. They need you to show up. They need you to carry them. That's how we let the light shine. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we again praise you that we can call you that. We're your dearly loved children, uh, your family, showered with your love and given the privilege of serving one another. We pray, Father, you will set that on our hearts and help us to follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.